0: Thank you, Rosie, and thanks everyone for joining us um, this afternoon, uh, coming to the end of what I think has been a really enriching day, and for those of you who I haven't met yet, I'm Lucy, I'm Education Manager here at Wising, and to do a visual description, I'm a white woman in their mid-30s with brown hair that's currently tied up in a bun, because it's very hot. Um, So I'm really, really pleased to welcome Jo and Akil um, for this In Conversation here this afternoon. Um, So we'll have a bit of an introduction from both Joe and Akil before we get into some questions, and hopefully some questions from you in the audience too. So first of all, to welcome Joe. So Joe is Grand Union based in Birmingham, their collaborative program curator. And Kappa is an artist educator with a strong desire to heal, restore, and do good in the world, creating alternative cultural and living practices that start with simple acts of growing or sharing food, embodying the cultural, cultural specifics of human conviviality. That's quite
1: difficult to yeah. <laughs> um, Hello, and thank you, Lucy, and thank you to Rising. I, I've h- had such an amazing day. It's felt such a good energy here, and like, I really don't want to go home. Um, so we're just all going to move in. Um, but, but anyhow, I, I guess I'm going to try and keep to 10 minutes because, like, this is really hard for me to do. So I'm just going to read, if that's OK, because Lucy went 20 slides. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm going to go through quick. Um, so, so I guess, like, the work that I do is, like, really important in the sense that it's it sort of trying to develop genuine connections with local and existing communities and organisations. I work together with people to build knowledges, a sense of understanding and collectively care how to create fairer, more inclusive communities. Collaboratively, I create situations, activisms and conversations and other forms of community development that collectively thinks about the social and environmental crisis that we're currently experiencing. And it's like colliding together a sort of quite a, a detrimental effect. So I'm thinking about art as an active and a critical platform rather than an I can't say this word now, ameliorative passive service. And I think that's quite critical. So I, I'm interested in developing projects that are dialogical in nature, um, that respond to agonistic sort of situations or situations where social justice and strengthening human relationships would be really a benefit. I'm thinking about how art can reveal the ongoing, unpredictable, and multiple dialectics between power and resistance, and and sort of, I guess that's the context from which I'm working. Could I have slide two, please? So um, this is an image of Grand Union. Um, It's situated on the canals in Digbeth in Birmingham. Um, Grand Union's an artist gallery and studio, and it was founded in... 2010, so I've been running 10, 12 years now. In 2018, I joined um, Grand Union as the collaborative programme curator, having spent 18 years teaching higher education and sort of leaving like the institution feeling a little bit broken and and sort of really passionate educator, felt that art had a really important job to do in the world, but felt that the institution wasn't supporting that um, then found the amazing space of uh, Grand Union where I was welcomed in to really think about how I could sort of um, work with communities and really think about the context of regeneration and, and sort of the wider connection with publics. Could I have slide three, please? Um, so starting with research, um, like I really believe context is not every, is, is everything, sorry. Um, I really wanted to think about the fabric and texture of the post-industrial <laughs> industrial site of Digbeth. Um, and then also, like I, I guess I was really thinking about the wider city issues of homelessness, um, people experiencing vulnerabilities, people whose needs really haven't been met by current society, and really thinking about the crisis around housing, and the connection between all of those issues around food poverty, economic deprivation, and really thinking about how the social and cultural capital that the arts has um, could do something about that. And I think, like, particularly this image of of Digbeth was taken not so long ago, like a couple of weeks, the sea of, of looming regeneration is like sort of, it's really critical and it's causing sort of all the problematics that probably London has like sort of still not overcome, really, and like many many cities in, in this country. So I, I, w- I really wanted to ask the question: was it possible to work towards collective transformational justice and really to centre care and understanding at the heart of that? and really thinking about how i could create platforms and how the um organization of grand union could create platforms for for those that most need it um, could i have slide four please so in 2019 i piloted um, a project called the growing projects um, I, I guess it is what it says um, but with the working with the the sort of like fundamentals really of care understanding simplicity humility and integrity and i really was thinking about how i could enable journeys of connection between people land and plants and really thinking about how we could follow the journey of taking seed to soil to plate um this image here is um, actually the first garden that we um, developed together, and it was developed in a city centre hostel. The hostel houses like thirty three people who are experiencing um, a period of homelessness. And I guess that that sort of at that point I had, no funding, um, I had a bag of seeds and a lot of motivation to see if I could like sort of really try and improve a situation in terms of the social experiences of people in vulnerability and actually sort of change the space that, that sort of they lived in. Um, could we go to slide five? And I've got a, a, a minute, short trailer. We've
2: got peas, potatoes,
1: chillies, the lot growing own vegetables. It's given me a different perspective. The key thing about the growing project has been making a way to connect with our neighbours.
3: This is a real garden. It's got me out of the house, and I've really enjoyed getting myself involved.
1: I was really taken aback with visible effects of homelessness in the city, and felt the gallery could use its cultural capital to support its local communities. The garden offers many different ways for people to tell their story and have their story heard.
2: We recognise the part we need to play in delivering a, a sustainable, thriving city. It's that ability to create community and friendships where they wouldn't have existed before. Really helped loads and helped a lot of people here as well.
1: um, the reason why it's important to show that film is that it it's sort of it's not about me talking it really is a community-led project and the um, all the different actors and positions are really important but I guess as a, a group of people we're we're sort of building resistance and sort of creating potential for healing through sort of nurturing plants and through that there's like sort of the self gets nurtured, and then the community gets nurtured. So now we have created gardens in five hostels across the city. We have two gardens on the canal side, and um, we're soon to have one garden on the actual canal, the floating garden. So if we could go to slide six. Um, so I, I guess the important um, thing for us is to s- start to think about um, futures, and, and I think it's been interesting that we started, like, sort of, with the presentation this morning about thinking what the future is. Wisings thinking about the future. We're at a pivotal point in, in sort of the world right now. And I guess um, for the people that we're working with that that sort of we're really thinking about how we can build resilience through transformational change and here are some of the ways that we're doing it. So if we can just click through slides seven, eight, nine, ten and eleven. So we're collaborating with artists who um, like modern clay and we're thinking about how we can basically start to sort of develop a a sustainable sort of income. And so we're creating a a business that's going to make herbs in pots, but they're going to be bespoke designed. Um, Can we go to slide 12 to 17? We're also working, uh, we've created a garden with a group of women and we're thinking about how we can um develop a, an apothecary sort of style garden and we're making blending teas and so we're creating a new business with teas and then can we go to slides 18. so we're also working um with on a longer-term project with the artist collective cooking sections um, to think about how what arts organisations' role is in the regeneration of post um, industrial sites or cities. Um, and we created a project called Field Commissions, and this is the site. Um, so we adopted a piece of land from the Canal and River Trust. And so the first iteration of this, um, when we first tested the soil, was that we found out that it was highly toxic in lead. And that's like sort of endemic of probably all canal side land. Um, so the first iteration of this project is we're working with the artist Assad Rasa to um, look at how we can remediate, clean the soil. And the, the work is called Reabsorption. Um, so if we can just move to the next slide, which is and the way that this is working is essentially we're making a large city size compost and we're taking waste from across the city and sort of turning it into um, new soil and what we've found out so far is that you really can't sort of deal with toxicity well enough and the only way is to actually sort of cover it or or think about reabsorbing and even though we want to think about sort of removing toxicity that actually as the world needs to work out how we're going to live with toxicity Um, so I guess reabsorption is engaging with the soil as a living ecosystem um thinking about the economic and cultural inheritance of dig so that there are sort of toxic particles that's left by industrial sort of um, empire building and it's offering new ways to think about urban regeneration if we can go to the next slide and the way that we're starting to do that is build new communities and this is a community of cultivators that meet each week um, they come from many different sets of knowledge across the city to really think about sort of to address questions of land ownership, consumption, and also like quite practically clean and, and sort of help to sort of tend that piece of land. Um, that's my 10 minutes, I think.
0: Fantastic. Thank you, Joe. That was really insightful to hear about some of the background and um, process. Um, with us, we've also got Keel Scafe Smith. So Akil is co-founder and member of Resolve Collective, an interdisciplinary design collective that combines architecture, engineering, technology, and art to address social challenges. Much of their work aims to provide platforms for celebrating local knowledge as well as organizing and collaborating in communities. So I'll invite Akil to share a bit more.
2: Okay. Um, I'm going to turn a little bit this way. To say it's one. really hard <laughs> yeah, to, it's like... <laughs> crazy, to move out this, like that. Okay, uh, And I'll point to change the slide at the beginning because they go quite, quite fast. So, um, my name is Kilskay Smith, uh, and like Lucy said, I run a collective called Resolve. We're an interdisciplinary design collective that works between art, architecture, engineering, and technology to address social issues. And a lot of the work that we do revolves around the use of a design philosophy that we call using the site and the resource. For us, using the site and the resource involves um, the appraisal and revaluing of not only local materials, but also local tacit knowledges. So working with people in those local places is a really important part of that work. A lot of that started with working with young people in our own local area. Uh, I'm from a place called Streatham in South London, so working within that world of South London was really part and parcel of the first ambition, working in our our own local area to benefit those places and to do something in that local area was really the universe that we were existing in. Um, But prior to that, but after that, we could have received a number of different opportunities to expand and to grow and to find other locals, to work with other different types of demographics, including much, much younger demographics but also much older and kind of across the board, working across the UK and Europe. Uh, and that really landed us where we are today um, <laughs> in terms of working in a number of different local places and focused on this way of working locally. So whether that's working in uh, art institutions to create spaces for different artists' practices and networks of maintenance and care, whether that's to work in, within strategic realms, to so working on architectural projects Um, or within kind of landscapes and strategies, uh, whether that's working in um, more formal institutional places as the kind of artists or researchers, um, working in public realm as well, which is something that's also become part of that WASA and working digitally, which I think during the um, pandemic, we had to force ourselves to become much more digitally literate. We're, We're far more kind of comfortable working with drills and hammers than we are working with code, but that's something that we kind of forced ourselves to do as did many other practitioners. Uh, and so the work takes an array of different forms um, and it also digital forms as well, but very largely it's comprised around a process led approach uh, where it, the process leads us towards wherever we're going. And so that's a really, really important part. And that was talked about a lot um, today in some of the workshops and the talks that I was in as well. And I kind of feel a real resonance with that process led approach. So today I want to talk about one project in particular, and unfortunately there was one project which was almost more topical, which I started with Rosie, Uh, but that project is still ongoing. And what I didn't want to do is kind of ramble to you guys in my 10 minutes, I wanted to say something about something that's sedimented. Uh, And so I've chosen this topic more. Uh, And this is a project that we commenced with uh, the London Borough of Greenwich, um, as a part of a Heritage Action Zone Fund, which is part of um, uh, an, an, a nationwide fund that looks around uh, the reappraisal, particularly of architectural heritage around town centres. Um, and this was a project called Reclaim the River. And why I think it's important to the context of today, although it's not in the Fens and it's not a rural project, um, it's a project around our inherent relationship with water uh, and how talking about water and land is about talking about a symbiotic relationship, no matter how urban or rural uh, that land is. Uh, and in this particular context in Woolwich, and this is where Woolwich is over here, for anyone who doesn't know. Very, very deep East London, super deep East London. Um, Woolwich is a place that is intri- its history is intrinsically tied to the river um, through a millennia of different kind of um, approaches with the river as well, um, but also with an imperial history of uh, the United Kingdom. Uh, and so Woolwich Dockyard is where Woolwich, the town that we know today, really kind of has its antecedents. Um, and it was one of the kind of primary sources of the Navy in, in, in Britain. Um, and the Woolwich Arsenal, for anyone who's into football, is why Arsenal are called the Arsenal, that's they started in Woolwich. Uh, and so it's, uh, uh, above being toponymic, it's also a really important factor in the kind of lived histories and experiences of Woolwich as well. Um, what's really important about this imperial history and this uh, history that's imp- um, really closely tied to war and colonialism uh, and, and military expansion is that Woolwich was on a receiving end of these types of things in terms of how people were employed in that area. Uh, and actually during the Victorian period, Woolwich was seen as a very kind of DIY town. There were lots of people who were making good based off the kind of parallel economies that were growing off of uh, the military complex. And actually there was a fraying, which in the archives is often paraphrased in Woolwich, which is that peace times are bad times in Woolwich. Uh, and that kind of really explicitly links the economy of Woolwich to this kind of um, worldwide military expansion story. And then to the next, point. Oh, points. <laughs> uh, however, um, in relationship to its kind of architectural but also um, more rigid historical heritage, Woolwich also has an um, amazingly lived heritage, um, an amazingly diverse lived heritage. Um, it is a place in which many, many ethnicities coexist and have made their own. Uh, and it's one of those places within London which has now kind of gained an epithet of being from somewhere else. So people call Peckham in London Little Nigeria, people call Woolwich Little in Nigeria. It's very, it is, um, an, an incredibly diverse place. There's a huge Nepalese community in there, lots of East Euro- Eastern European communities there, etc. And so that really informs the lived experience and the territory of Woolwich as well. Where we sat, and I think this is a video, so you can click it and it plays, but if it doesn't play, then that's also fun. Um, And where we sat was to think about how we can facilitate artists within Woolwich, primarily first-time designers, so members of the community who had never designed or made public work before, and to facilitate a number of these artists. in in coming, these are artists to be, in intervening in sites across the city, across the the town, sorry, in order to celebrate and emphasise not only the connection with the Thames, the past connection with the Thames, which has been severed through development uh, and through a number of different kind of infrastructural ways of kind of severing that connection, um, and also to celebrate the lived history of Woolwich, so asking them to respond to a number of briefs which we set across the town centre. Um, which responded to these ideas both of lived heritage and of a past connection to the river. Uh, What we ended up then doing was creating a website uh, and this website became the platform or an infrastructure for then facilitating a competition whereby people would enter the different sites then choosing those different sites would respond and we would then go through a process of facilitating um, those um, endeavours. Five artists were chosen by a panel of local community groups uh, and then facilitated through also working very closely with local mentors as well. Uh, and then we worked as this utmost infrastructure whereby we were helping in the kind of fabrication and also by intervening in the different local sites. So I think you can play this video here. What a um, spider? What was uh, really amazing for us was having previously been the types of artists which are delivering the work themselves, Uh, what we began doing was um, aiding in the facilitation of that work. And that meant that our role became intrinsically tied to access to land in Woolwich. Um, A lot of the sites that the people had chosen were sites within alleyways, and I'll explain a little bit more on the next slides, Um, but were sites within alleyways in Woolwich. And those alleyways are vestiges of an old urban morphology by which the river was inherently the place to be. They're almost like lanes in Brighton, as you can imagine, but they're much, much smaller. Uh, And these were alleyways which have recently taken on um, a kind of completely different type of um, collective imagination, of people largely associated with violence, especially violence against women, with drug taking, etc. Um, but that most of the artists chose to be in these or chose to intervene in these alleys really revealed the wider collective psychogeography in terms of people in Woolwich thinking about these places um, primarily and really kind of concentrating emotional energy on these places. Um, and so to a number to go through the five five, I hope there are five, to go through the five um, artists that we're working with. Um, within Murray's Yard, which is another one of these alleys, um, on to the left is a 14-year-old school child called Jesse Oshogwe um, from Bexley Grammar, who worked with a local artist called JP to make a mural looking at the Thames, thinking about the Thames as an African goddess, uh, specifically tying into uh, a Nigerian tradition by which the, the goddess Ocean is kind of tied to Uh, this idea of water and he came to the country when he was nine and so he was really infused with this idea that the Thames was watching over him and he was really um, greeted by the conviviality of Woolwich, and saw that as a kind of guiding force within there. And so here these um, um, pictures also point towards the Thames as well and so the orientation of a lot of these works also kind of showcases or at least reveals very slowly um, the the, Thames which is very close by, quite proximate but indiscernible. To the right is also a, um, another one by Danielle, um, who is a, another Woolwich local, uh, and she was really interested in how we can highlight and kind of celebrate these um, um, passageways as integral parts of how we navigate the urban environment through the use of cookies. She was really obsessed with cookies. Next um, this is a, uh, a work by two teachers who are working in Woolwich called Luke Murray and Piotr Schmikewitz, uh, and this work is a really amazing one because this alley, the Alley, um, is a very, very Victorian type alley. There's, almost, there's also those really strange kind of um, Sherlock Holmes lamps that are hanging around as well. So it's quite a vestige of the old times. Uh, but it's 100 meters, maybe 150 meters away from the Thames. But there's nothing to suggest that that is it. It's also um, situated within a car washing site, uh, which is actually one of the most pedestrianized access to the Thames. But you have to walk through the building in order to get there the building is quite porous in that way um, so a really complex site in terms of how it's navigated and they wanted to reveal that proximity of the thames and I'm I'm to, lastly to describe that site there was also a mountain of tyres which people in the local area would call tyre mountain that were existing on the site in order to reveal and highlight and celebrate the proximity of the river uh, they took and rearranged these tyres turning them into mini planters and then painting on these nautical signs as a way of kind of harking back to this old connection with the Thames. So often, for me, this one of the, um, the beauties of this type of piece was in that it was really taking from the site and really taking it both aesthetically and conceptually from that site, um, but sh- highlighting and showcasing this real proximity of the river where the shape-shifting and land-making force in Woolwich. Uh, the next piece um, was perhaps one of the most contentious and the first but not the only time that I had to clean up human excrement. Um, And this was in an alley called Myrtle Alley, which is quite an ominous name, Myrtle Alley, um, by Sarah Garrett, um, who was a fantastic artist who used uh, boxes from the market um, and cyanotype print um, to really illuminate photographs that she had taken of women across Woolwich um, and to place those photos, those highlighted photos, in the alley. Uh, And they were backlit as well, so in the night they would really shine very, very bright in terms of in, in the very dark alley. What was, I think, the most prominent about this particular piece and this particular um, site was that even whilst we were installing the site, so the installation took between five and four and five days, uh, the number of people, namely women, who were traversing the, the Myrtle Alley uh, was, was almost breathtaking. It really was this place that, in the public imaginary, is a terra neilis, is a place which is kind of untraversable, is a place which is uninhabited. Uh, but the real life experience of this really reads very, very differently. Uh, and though there are certainly cases in which we can it, have been revealed the of a type, um, various types of violences in the, in the alien, that's not to discredit or to try and disprove those things at all, but rather to reveal that all these places within this contested space um, are standing in contradiction to one another. We have a place which is simultaneously violent uh, but also traversable. Uh, a place which is proximate to the river, um, but but bereft of any um, impetus from it or input from it, sorry. And then the very one of the very last pieces, Evie and Ethanasi, within the same alley and using stencils of local people from Woolwich to do a very similar thing. I'll hurry up as through the slides, because I think there's one more. And sorry, and the very last one, uh, which is by Harris Wong. Um, who was an amazing, um, she used to be a tunnel engineer uh, and she then wanted to become a, um, an artist and this was her first um, per, uh, way of, of in, into, the, into the art world, into the creative world. Uh, and she had a piece which was installed within the Woolwich Foot Tunnel. And the Woolwich Foot Tunnel is one of two pedestrian tunnels that goes underneath the Thames. Uh, and it's also a listed building, and so it means it's very difficult to do anything in there, Uh, and one of the primary parts of our role in this was also soaking up some of the health and safety regulations in terms of attaching anything into the Thames, Uh, and she took water from the Thames um, and put those into recycled bottles that she had salvaged from a bottle recycling factory in in Plumstead down the road, uh, and hung that in a wave across the roof of the Woolwich foot tunnel, Uh, and this was a really really beautiful piece, I think this piece um, really stood out in terms of how it drew that connection between the Thames and she was really interested in how we bring the Thames into that architectural history, into the architectural heritage in a very um, pointed way. Um, but it also revealed, as much as it highlighted, being in the, te- in the foot tunnel and installing that piece again showcased the amount of use, the really wide variety of use of this foot tunnel. If you can imagine this foot tunnel as being a very kind of dark and dingy and murky place. And again, this type of place which doesn't seem like it's habited, but really seeing a plethora and a real variety of people who were using this foot tunnel, who were partying in this foot tunnel, who were being convivial, being joyous in this foot tunnel uh, and kind of being celebrated by this uh, piece of the Thames which hung above them, but also surrounded them as they traversed that Thames. So a kind of very beautiful and perfect piece. Uh, And then the last slide, I think, is just a slide of us having fun in Woolwich. So the um, <laughs> to, to to round off really, I think one of the um, the real learnings of this piece for us and this set a um, in motion a wider number of different strategic um, policy um, projects from the for the local council and also for the heritage action group as well. Uh, one of the profound pieces and kind of learnings for us was how we can start to move in very, very small ways in order to try and provoke infrastructural change. Mm -hmm. I think what was important to us was not that we achieved a reclamation of the river, and actually the facetiousness in that title, um, which only lends itself to say that the river and the land are these two things which are symbiotic symbiotic even within urban environments. Um, And rather than in order to kind of ultimately reclaim the river, what we're trying to do is to reclaim as an active process and an unfinished Mm -hmm. process. And this is where it starts. But certainly not where it finishes. It starts with people. It starts with people in their local environments, and where it ends, we don't know. Um, so I think I hope that wasn't too long.
0: Thank you, Akil. That was so insightful to hear all those different avenues to your work. And when we were chatting before, um, what really came across to me in both of your practices is really that focus on process that we touched on earlier, but also those idea of uh, ideas around care. And Joe and some of your projects and Akhil, I know you do too. Sort of provide food, nourishment, conversation, and real sense of community. But I wondered what you would say to somebody who thought, who asked the question of why should it be artists or arts organisations who do this work rather than sort of the role of social care or government organisations? Joe, I wonder if you had any
1: questions. I'm sure we both could talk about that. Um, but yeah, I mean. I I sort of think that the sort of um, arts organisation, art is is powerful in the sense that it can talk about many different things in many different ways, and I think it also can can sort of... um, use symbolism and use lots of different tactics and so I I think that that's why like sort of potentially you know in terms of how we think about care you know we're probably like sort of can care in a different way that that sort of can bring people into a space but I came across the term uh promiscuous care that the um the other day and I I sort of like have been thinking about it a lot in terms of what that actually means it's exciting isn't it like I guess like sort of promiscuous sort of like feels like sort of um something that's wrong and so like to put that together with care I, I think that that sort of we, we sort of, as a society, we, we, we've sort of forgotten how to care, we've forgotten how to have empathy. And I guess that's sort of, you know, that the capitalist sort of like effect in terms of the value has moved away from like sort of human relationships. And I think that, that sort of, um, I guess, yeah, art has that power to sort of like care in many different ways. And I think that, that sort of, yeah, we need to reassess what that can be. Mm. But like, yeah, you should say something too.
2: No, yeah, I mean, I completely agree. I think, but I, I, you know, when we were talking earlier, Lucy, we were kind of ranting around like the role of this, um, this mobile or this kind of like really tactile third party within the state versus um, the, the non-state uh, dichotomy in terms of the delivery of social benefit, etc., cetera. Um, and I think it's really about the idea of the plenum and that everything exists within that way. Uh, and as we work, and not all artists do this, lots of artists find themselves in some ways complicit to, to, to state and institution action. And, you know, We're all kind of somehow guilty or complicit in terms of those things as well, uh, as well as the, the, the co-option of the, of the private market as well. So all of that to say is that we need to, I, I think it's not about trying to work Um, to to deliver social value, Um, really the the ambit um, is to work in ways that disrupt the status quo. Mm -hmm. So whether that's about delivery of social value, whether that's about being complicit with something else, whether that's being internal in state mechanisms, um, the the capacity to be disruptive, um, I think, is really key. Um, And that's integral to all of the work. So... Some you know tried and, and you know whether it succeeds or fail it's about that kind of strive to be that i think
0: mm-hmm. i think that's such an exciting perspective to look at it and the other kind of thread actually that came through in both the conversations was around this idea of reciprocity um again kind of feeding into that idea of process i think and how we work together both as artists or arts organizations but with communities and people and joe you gave the example of starting a conversation without or a project without any funding and just showing up with a packet Seeds, and I know that Akil, you've also done some more sort of in kind work or just being kind of ingrained as part of your community to keep those conversations going. and I also wanted about your reflections on how that sort of different way of working and that sense of reciprocity might be able to shape longer term ways of working. (laughs) I
1: feel (laughs) like we we might be doing ourselves out of like future funding. I mean, I I think. We, we need to be careful like sort of um, that that like we, we we sort of do need to value and like sort of we we just need to sort of rethink value and and sort of and I think as a society like sort of we need to sort of think about how we can resource and reuse you know it's like sort of they they they're sort of important ways of thinking and and I guess that that sort of um, without a doubt like we to, to do the work well to do community organization to care for people that we need to reascribe more value to those those sort of um, that work and and sort of I think that the activism and also community work is is often done and care work is often done and paid and I, I, I sort of think I give the example of it, but I also sort of know that actually we need to rethink the value. So that's like sort of not just taking away all the money, but we need to sort of like create a status for it.
2: Mm. Yeah, def- I mean, I think the, the conversations around reciprocity, are uh, for me, are also interesting in their antecedents. And like to have been discussed, I think, today in across the different talks and the workshops, is that there are old norms and there are old old forms, um, in which uh, the idea of reciprocity both with our built and unbuilt environment um, have been more resident, have been more at the forefront of how we can kind of move our modus of branding. Uh, and actually salvaging, to go back to what Joe was saying about reusing, it's also about reusing these old forms. I, I'm kind of increasingly um, taken by this idea that there isn't anything new ever. There's never been anything new. Um, and there it actually has never been anything but one thing. There's one thing in which we all are some facet of. Uh, and so in, in that respect, it's almost freeing from the idea of novelty and, and innovation. And I think those are the driving forces of this, the types of systems which you often get bogged down by, which we often feel, to quote last um, in the last session, um, disabled by. Um, and I think the, really what we're, when we talk about reciprocity, it's talking about not reinventing a different relationship with our environment, but it's talking about harking back and cherry picking and reconfigurating um, old relationships. I think the answers are in front of us. And as I, I, I teach as well as I teach architecture. And I always say to my students that the answer is very simple. I mean, we, everyone knows the answer. Right? If the answer is, if the problem is bad, the answer is too good, but it's about getting to that answer. And, and that's very, very difficult. Getting to the answer is very difficult. It's really easy to say something, and you can say in the utopia, we have this, this, that, and that, but in terms of how we get to the answer, the focus, rather than on the infinite, but rather on the infinitesimal, I think is actually where that comes in. So reciprocity is really key to that. And I'm learning a lot from being and wisely in terms of reciprocity with our environment right now. And Those learnings I hope to kind of take back to South London, et cetera. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's really exciting to hear, because the final question that I was going to ask you both Bit of a cheeky question of thinking about what should arts organisations and especially Wising do within the context of that, that we have all this land, opportunity, sharing opportunities between kind of urban and rural landscapes and community work. What kind of, I, Do you have ideas what what we, we should do with this opportunity? <laughs> we
2: were both on Rosie's,
0: uh, yeah. we both on Rosie's yeah. tour as well. Yeah, like I, my my answer
1: to R- R- Rosie was do nothing. It, it like that feels like the most radical act to do nothing, but it it's not uh, as in like unmotivated. But I think in in sort of just thinking about what you'd said about like you know if if we think about you know the world of, of sort of energy and like quantum physics and like if sort of, you know that the at a cellular level mm. where we're sort of like all exchanging and and sort of reciprocal actions all the time and and I sort of think that is enabling us and it's a bit like um, thinking about sort of crypt time and and sort of going into that meditative like I, I feel like the world needs to move to sort of different forms of consciousness in order to sort of like solve the issues and like I think um, actually that's being able to sort of shift from a a cellular sort of energy level, reading the room, like sort of, you know, like just feeling the energy and the the good vibrations from today. And that's not me being a hippie or being like trying to sing a song. It's like the real thing that happens when you enter into a space and like, you know, during the day, the the accumulation of like sort of the conversations and, you know, it's good. And so sometimes it's like, stepping back like sort of just feeling and like sort of allowing that to happen and I think in terms of social and environmental justice and and sort of community organization and sort of activism I think we need to be a bit more peaceful and a bit more mindful and
0: meditative so like my answer is do nothing. (laughs) reminds me we had um just pre-pandemic um, and billboard installation by Helen Hammock and asking the question, when was the last time that you just did nothing? And maybe there is a sense of <laughs> restoration to that. Akil, any final thoughts?
2: Yeah, and, and this is definitely not to, to, to go against this idea of doing nothing, certainly. Um, I think there was, being on the walk with Rosie earlier today, there were like so many really amazing ideas about things that can be done on some of the pieces, the kind of fallow pieces of land, um, and across the, 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 the three Sainsbury's that, that Wising owns, as was described, the three big Sainsbury's worth of land. Um, and I, for me, it's about the, the, the sanctity and being able to be generative in terms of the, those ideas that needs to be met with um, a type of, I, I hesitate to say the word, but a type of practicality. Um, and I think a lot of that practicality will come from going outside of the boundary um, in architecture, when we're, doing very, when we're working on kind of big architectural projects, what, what we often talk about, especially in initial planning meetings, will be talking about seeing beyond the red line. Uh, and that means going beyond the site that we've been designated, the site which is owned by whoever it is that is kind of going, it might be the local authority, it might be whoever, um, because your site only exists within a melange of other things uh, and it's affected by that. That red line which you can see in your architectural drawing is a, a confabulated one we've made it up mm-hmm. um, and actually land ownership follows those same principles it's also something which we just collectively agree on rather than something which is inherent to the earth. Um, and so both in a conceptual way but also in a practical way it's kind of around planning around and beyond that red line if there are certain things that we feel are immediately actionable on that land. Say, for example, someone talked about the nitrogen thing. I hope I don't want to misquote the nitrogen thing, it sounded really cool. But it's like really scoping out what are the immediate um, um, inhibitors of that type of idea. Do we know that there are precedents of ideas like that, which Cambridge Mm -hmm. Council have have turned down before, and they say, why? Are there ways that we can ensure the idea in kind of going through? Do we know that if, if the idea has to go to planning, if, if it's inevitable that in order for that idea to last for longer than 28 days, it has to go through planning, how do we win the planning battle? Like all these types of things, I think, I come from a community where we were, we've been so disenfranchised by local politics and government politics that many of us don't engage in. We kind of really run away from that type of thing. But I think there there is an actionability about local politics. It's obscured. It's capitalized and manipulated by the powers that be, et cetera. But it is actionable. You can do it. Local residents do it all the time. Right? So it's like, actually, I think there's, a, there's, a, there's something Machiavellian about it. But I do think, you know, that like, it's about engaging in those things whilst also a capacity to see the much bigger picture of rest and see the much big, bigger picture of all those types of things as well
0: almost like being a sort of mole on the inside almost you know, like make that change um, mm-hmm. fantastic i've got so many more questions i could ask but i'm now going to open up just i think we've got time for a couple of questions from anyone in the audience no, it's been the end of a long <laughs> yeah. day uh, uh, we'll just wait for the microphone yeah.
3: okay. Thank you, James. Uh, Yeah, fascinating and disturbing all at the same time. Um, I'm interested, I'm very sensitive because of my long years of campaigning about the corporate world and the way it's encroached on every level of politics and that then encroaches on us. So I'm, I'm noticing the language we all used and we have done for a long time. By the way, you've reminded me. Around about 2015, 16, 17, every government document report that came out when they wanted change in the NHS started with doing nothing is not an option. That was the first bullet point on every bloody report. So you've reminded me of that. So actually, being radical there might be. Absolutely, let's do nothing for a while and just see how we feel. Um, but I'm caught by the fact that we use social capital. Is there another word we could use? Because that is another example of a corporate word. It's a business speak. But is there another word that would have the same value that we might get away from corporate mindset? Uh, I, I don't yeah.
1: Know <laughs> like, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's problematic, isn't it? It's sort of, but I, I guess it's like sort of linguistics is like sort of we 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 have to sort of like create that change and i I sort of hope in the future social and cultural capital as words and terms don't exist but um i guess it's it's sort of it's about reciprocity it's about exchange it's it's sort of recognizing what you have and what you can share and, and and i think that like yeah we could I'm, I'm going like, to maybe take it away for, for you for the future. Like, sort of, it doesn't need to be there because, yeah, I agree, but it's a recognisable form. I don't know. What do you think?
2: I agree. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I, I think, I, I agree. I, I think, yeah, linguistics is a difficult territory because I think I work in lots of communities where by had they ever heard the word social capital, I, there are lots of them who would feel inspired by that. This idea that what you have in terms of your social connections is inherently valuable, be it in a capitalistic way or any other way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, that the words become territorized by the by the orator. And so I think like it's very we have to be very careful sometimes about being universal in how we both rescind and also propagate words. Um, I think words have that kind of local thing to them as well. So mm-hmm. whilst I, I agree, and I and I, I don't personally use the word myself, um, I've certainly been in situations where people. Like the word, uh, and I find it very. And so I, I find myself within that contradiction of, in very specific cases, I might talk about that in terms of describing how people relate to their communities. Um, but it's not something that I use in a very widespread way. So it's a tricky one. Yeah.
0: Thank you. I think we might have one one last question at the front, and then we can obviously continue <laughs> this conversation over drinks and snacks, um, which will be happening after this question. <laughs> Okay, so, um, thank you both, yes, I do know both of you, Um, (laughs) but I was just thinking about this when we're coming to these things, when your good selves are coming to these things, of the project that you've presented here today, which of the participants could be here instead of either of you? Because, you know, we're t- talking another word people might not like about empowerment. Mm-hmm. So if you said, right, okay, do you know what? Why sing? I'm sending people instead of coming. Like, it, it, that is great, amazing. Great. <laughs> I mean,
1: interestingly, like, sort of, I wrote, like, my 10 minutes and I was just going to tell you three stories about three people that I work with. And then um, sort of, like, I guess like thinking oh what's the audience like sort of you know actually like sort of this is about wising and thinking about like you know what it can do as an art centre but I completely agree with you and like sort of I guess that's why I wanted to show the the minute trailer of the film because you know it's about all of the people that I work with and like I I couldn't say you know we all play a part in that you know it could be the landowner it could be the the council it could be the person that writes the housing policy it could be you know the participant it's all of them like sort of and I think every single one of them would present like their position and I guess me, you know, what I can be used as is a tool to sort of like try and bring that together in the same way that, you know, we, we, I'm caring for that project. So yeah, I think people need to be centered, but equally like sometimes like sort of we need to recognize, I think the complexity of what we do means like, even just to talk about it in 10 minutes, I, I felt mm-hmm. really stressed trying to, get to do that. And then I'm sitting here thinking there's lots of other bits of that project
3: mm-hmm. But, yeah. yeah, no,
2: completely agree, yeah. And I think it's a fantastic question. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, there are lots of projects that we've worked on where there are people on that project who certainly could take my place in terms of talking about it. Um, and we have the fortune sometimes of revisiting those people and maintaining longer-term relationships with those people. Uh, and that's definitely the case in this particular project um, because what we were doing wasn't about empowering, um, which is, you know, the contentious word, blah, blah, blah. Um, we, were, we were actively trying to disempower uh, the local government. And I don't mean that necessarily in an antagonistic way, um, but it meant that there was, both from our side and the client side, uh, an array of different mechanisms and policies and lots of other things that were pre- actively preventing people from being able to do things in their mm-hmm. local environments. We were a type of mediating force that meant that that could happen. Um, and a lot of that meant writing... Reams and reams of risk assessments, two risk assessments a day, different changes in risk assessment, risk assessment, risk assessment, <laughs> continuing to do that all the time. Some of that meant liaising with landowners and not telling the entire truth all the time yet. Stuff, things like yeah. this. Stuff that the artists, I don't think lots of artists should have to do themselves. And if they find themselves in a position where that is an impedance, they deserve and require and the help, a type of helping hand in order to do that. Um, and so I think that's where I think our role was. And so we were trying to, and that's a role that's intrinsically tied up with the politics of ownership and land and the evolution of Woolwich, of the place in that area. So we were trying to, I guess no one could really talk about that but us. However, the hope is that one day people can be that. And well, not that one day people can be that, that people who have the capacity to be that do are. Because when we were working initially in Brixton and in South and all these places, we would, the vanguards, the people who could do it, didn't do it, right? And that's a deeper conversation, which is difficult to have. But when we were coming up, the people who could do it for us, they didn't do it. Um, and they continued not to do it for quite a long time. So we, we turned around and said, we're at a point at which we have the resource to try and do something like this. Let's try and do it. Um, so, yeah.
1: And just one final point, like, I guess that us, us as an audience, maybe we need to step outside that red one, line and, like, sort of, it's not about the people coming here to tell the stories. It's about us going out and hearing the stories out there. Yeah, that's a
0: conversation you pick up. I'm what you're saying about give us ideas because I'm just going to use another word. Mindful of the not with what you're doing. So, yeah, yeah, that's such another topic that's come up today as well. That. Hopefully, we can all hold those things in our heads and take them to uh, where Rosie is. There's going to be snacks, drinks, conversation. So please do take time. If there's someone you haven't spoken to today, do make the time to do that, and we can build on these conversations. And today doesn't have to end here. We can keep those conversations going with each other. So thank you, Joe, and thank you, Akhil, and thanks all for coming. Thank you.